Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Knoll Sports Podcast. I'm Jack Williams here with Essen Kassam, and today we're going to be talking about just about everything going on in the Florida State sports world, ranging from football, basketball, baseball, and softball are starting up this weekend. Well, softball has started up already, but baseball, it's opening weekend. I mean, there's so much to talk about going on right now, whether it be coming, it be going on, but let's just jump into it right now. We're going to talk about um, some new guys that we were able to talk to these past few days for Florida State football and some newcomers. Um, mainly the big one was uh, DJU and um, him introducing himself to the first time to local media. Yeah, definitely. No, when, um, before we get to that, uh, Jack, we, you know, last week we didn't have our episode. Jack got to enjoy Mardi Gras. I did. How was that, Jack? Uh, it's, it's always a good time um, <laughs> going to New Orleans. I love New Orleans. Um, it's it's. It's been – my parents went a lot when they were younger and we were able to go with my family, me and my sister and my parents. We celebrated my sister's birthday. Um, we know people in uh, the Endemian crew, so we were able to go to the extrava- extravaganza ball that night. Um, it's always a blast to go to. Um, I don't really get a lot of sleep, but um, you know, there's great food. There's great drinks, great people. It's a fantastic time. If you ever get the chance to go to – New Orleans for Mardi Gras. I highly, highly recommend it. It's, it's a great time. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, while Jack was enjoying Mardi Gras, I had to cover a double overtime game. <laughs> I, sorry, a double overtime women's basketball game, a two and a half hour men's basketball game, and a 10 inning softball game. Just your typical week. Yeah. Then yeah. the oh, Super went to overtime for no reason as well. <laughs> <laughs> just cause. Just cause. Just cause. They're like, Listen, we're going to deny you any possible sleep this week as possible, you know? We're just going to give you as much sports as we can. Which, I'm not complaining sports, fun, but, you know, mm-hmm. we're like, sleep schedule, nice, too. That's always important, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, starting off with them, um, we got, you know, yesterday was the last day of newcomers. They introduced, I think, 28 total newcomers or 26. It was a, it was a lot. Around that number, yeah. It was a spread out for the past three, four weeks. Um, mm-hmm. But the biggest one we got was DJU. Um, you know, he talked... I think he had a great quote where he started off like, you know, his favorite place to play was um, at Dope Campbell Stadium. Um, and who can blame him? It's a fun stadium. It's a fun it's environment. Fun. It's a fun environment. Mm-hmm. Um, which says a lot because, Jack, I think me and you agreed last year one of our favorite places to um, cover was Clemson. Florida was a close oh, um, second or maybe, I don't know, 1A, 1B for me. Jack didn't get to make the trip because unfortunately because of COVID. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, it was a – those were two fun atmospheres. I'm not sure if he's played at Florida before. But he'll get, he won't get a chance. Nah, this I was just say he won't get this year. <laughs> but um, I mean, but Doe Campbell, as we know, that Duke game for homecoming was one of the loudest we've heard in the stadium. It was fun. It was lo- you know, it was a fun atmosphere. It's a thrilling environment, absolutely. You have the you know the war chant going on. You could have your own thoughts about that, you know, when, uh, on that. But just to see the entire stadium doing that, it's kind of fun to watch. Right. Just the it's a fun sports atmosphere. So I get it. He said, you know, his quote. Of all the places I've played at Oregon State and Clemson, this is my favorite place to game, favorite away game I've ever played. When I played here in 2022, this place was rocking, seeing the war chant live, seeing all the fans. It was amazing seeing the Seminole riding the horse. It was crazy. He's excited to get here and play here. He's going to be a fun player. You know, um, he talked about his style. He talked to um, Jordan Travis, talked to Mike Narvell, his fit on the offense. Um, and, you know, um, just he's, uh, as I mentioned my story, it's up on Tallahassee.com. Um, he mentioned how he is a um, – what's the word I'm looking for, Jack? A, um, you know, just a leader working with the younger players, um, Trevor Jackson, who Jack will talk a little bit in a second, mm-hmm. a walk-on freshman, preferred, wa- preferred walk-on freshman, PWO, um, called him the granddad of the room. Granddad of the room, yeah. Luke Kremernock, we got last week, said good things about him and just like, you know, they have a locker next to each other. And he, he's pestering um, uh, DJU with questions all the time, but – this is a great leader that Florida State added. 
looked like a great quarterback. Um, you know, he wanted to be – and that's, I think, the biggest thing is um, Cam Ward was the other quarterback Florida State was in play for. But Cam Ward was kind of um, picking between Florida State, Miami, the NFL. It sounds like Auburn got in there late as well. So, um, mm-hmm. But DJU, he's a quarterback – I think Cam Ward gives, would have gave Florida State on this offense, this team, a little bit of a higher ceiling, but lower floor. But DJU make, has a higher floor and a lower ceiling, mm-hmm. but he wants to be here. I think that's the most important thing in this day in college football. Mm-hmm. You want a player that wants to be at Florida State. You want a player that's not just here for the money. He wants to be here. Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing. And I think that's DJU someone's people are going to get behind right away. Because he's a likable guy. Like his press conference yesterday, I think ran almost 20 minutes. was fantastic. It was fun. <laughs> really fun player to talk to. He's going to be good. Um, but, yeah, no, we have a story up on that about his newcomer um, availability. Just a fun player, you know, um, threw for 21 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, 2,638 yards last year. Left because Jonathan Smith, his Oregon State coach, went to Michigan State, um, which makes sense. Oregon State stuck in the um, – Pack two, two puck. Well, the, the Mountain West now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I was telling one of our um, coworkers earlier. I think they should just embrace it. For, forget the pack two, rename yourself Tupac, and your new logo is a picture of Tupac. Play all his music at games and give him royalties. He's from the West Coast. Hey, th- that's my idea. <laughs> we'll see if it happens. All right. All and the slogan can be "All eyes on me." Well, the problem is he's from. L.A., right? It's, He's a West Coast guy. Not Pullman or Corvallis. <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the wrap-up, DJU said he's excited to work with Norvell mm-hmm. and Tokars. But um, he's going to be a fun player, fun person to talk to. I Look, love Jordan Travis, love covering him. But DJU um, is someone that's a little more talkative. And that's not to say that's not a negative on Jordan Travis. He's not – that's not how – what his personality was like. He's more of a quiet leader. But he does, you know, and he talks to his team and does that. But for the media, he didn't love talking to the media as much. It sounds like DJU is going to be a different player who's going to actually love, like, you know, talking to the media a little bit more. Good. Um, but, yeah, no. You know, he made his official visit here on the 15th of December. And he's a null now. Um, but, yeah, so that's DJU. The story's up online. You guys can read that. Talossi.com. Jack, talk about, you know, the player that kind of mentioned as the granddad of the room, Trevor Jackson, because he, he was a shorter interview, but it was a fun interview. Yeah, I mean, you know, he, he's someone who, you know, he has a very positive attitude coming into this as well. <coughs> um, I don't, I, the, you know, the attitude of preferred walk-ons or walk-on just in general could be very fluxing considering that, you know, you're not, you're not too much on, you know, you're not on scholarship, your playing time is here and there and stuff like this. It's a guy that signed a little bit later than everybody else. Um, you know, originally had an offer from Ole Miss, decommitted, um, and then Florida State came into the conversation very late, and he committed to Florida State. But he was very positive. He's very excited to be here. I think Pat, as I said in um, you know, the story, passion has really fueled his arrival here at Florida State. He mentioned his grandmother played a really large role in him committing here. She's been a huge Florida State fan, and unfortunately she passed away a few weeks ago. Um, so she, her passion for this is one of the reasons why he committed here. He's always loved Florida State. We heard this from a lot of Florida residents in these um, in these conversations. He's a quarterback over at Orlando Jones High School, which is one of the, you know the one of the more richer programs in this state. Um, you know, once he committed for, decommitted from Ole Miss, his focus was trying to get Jones to win a state championship. Um, and he's here to learn. He wants to learn from DJU a lot. He wants. He knows what his strengths are. He knows what his weaknesses are. And this is a guy that's very. He's just a really good attitude going into this in general. Um, 
it just seems like he wants to work and learn, and that's you know what the most you want to ask out of a preferred walk on, especially in a really deep quarterback room as well. Um, yeah, it's just a, a really positive kid in general. That was the main gist I got from that. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. It's note to note, like with him, he's an interesting player. As a junior, he played um, 59% of his passes for 1,559 yards, 16 touchdowns, and 7 interceptions. Um, then last year, he was benched in the middle of the season, went back and forth playing, completed 56 of 101 passes for 916 yards, 7 touchdowns, and 5 interceptions over 14 games. I think he did get to, where was it in the playoffs? 3M semifinals, was Might it? the semifinals, The yeah. semifinals, he beat Kai Bates on the way, which was a funny um, little action. He mentioned that, you know, he mentions that Kai Bates all the time. Like, mm-hmm. He said, he, I think the story was he pointed at Kai Bates before he scored the game-winning touchdown. Oh, God. And he brings that up to him all the time. So, um, fun little story. Um, yeah. But it's interesting. He was a four-star prospect at one point, committed to Ole Miss, um, decommitted, and... Probably could have got, been a had gone for more playing time at a you know, uh, like a G five G five school, mm-hmm. but he won take a chance, won the bet on himself. He did, um, you mm-hmm. know. Last year he had um, one hundred four carries for eight hundred fifty five yards and touch, ten touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Year before fifty two carries for three hundred six yards and six touchdowns. So, got speed, has um, good rushing ability. Could be someone that's gonna be. I um, mean, you know, I don't think he's gonna play next year. He's no. too small. Definitely not. Like you know. Um, but he's not like another walk-on where, like, you know, down the road in two, three, four years, you could see him, like, if he's still at Florida State. Right, you know, in the world. Um, we'll see. Yeah. But um, he's someone that could, like, you know, just fill um, – you're bringing in certain packages and you could get, you know, yardage, short yardage, first downs, rushing plays, you know. So he's a different kind of walk-on that could have a different kind of role. So he's an interesting prospect. I love the ad for Florida State. It's a great ad because he's someone that could be, you know, make more of an impact than a normal walk-on does in the long run if he stays here for Warriors. And if not, he bent on himself. He could show something in practice, get some tape, and transfer somewhere we could get playing time. So it's a, it's a good bet for him, especially with, um, you know, all the NIL stuff. I'm sure he got some kind of package to take yeah. care of, like, you know, tuition stuff, even if he's not on scholarship. So good for him. I think mm-hmm. it's a good addition for Florida State. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to see what he can do. I can, it's going to be a fun player to watch him practice. I yeah, think. I know. I wish the best for the kid as well. I mean, he just seems excited to be here. And I mean, you know, nowadays, college football is treated as such a, you know, profession and a job and stuff like that. And you can see a lot of guys that have a very business-like approach to all of this and stuff like that. Um, and that can be dim- and that could dim- diminish the excitement aspect of this a little bit more. So it was kind of nice to see someone, you know, coming into the room smiling and, you know, just talking about how he kept saying, I'm just a Florida guy who loves Florida State. He kept said that over yes, and over again. So, I mean, um, you know, when you see guys with positive attitudes like that, you just want nothing but the best for them. So, um, yeah, it's going to be cool on to that, see what he does. On that aspect, I think we saw a lot of newcomers. I think fans should not – and we've seen less excitement over signing, like over signing day, and over like you know um, prospects committing. I think, and I think fans should take that that way. It's just like day to day. I mean, year to year, it's a year to year team. Where you're gonna put your best eighty five on the field every year, and you can see rosters churning, flipping over. So don't fall in love with the roster for multiple years, right? Um, unless someone like I think Luke Cromer Huck, someone's gonna stick around in Florida State for a while, unless he does not win a starting job for some reason. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I think you can expect roster turnover every year. Don't fall in love with the recruit. I mean, be excited when you sign someone because they could make an impact. But um, it's going to be a year-to-year rebuilding thing until the NCAA and Congress or something does something about this to fix it. Um, you know, whether it be what like, – I think Kirby Smart mentioned on the radio the other day, like, you know, you – 
get a, when you give a pit player a nil, you're like you're signing a one year contract or a three four year contract. So you know going into like you know so both parties can give, like, be like okay this is not working out after one year we're going our separate ways. Mm-hmm. So both parties have an option of like you know hey this is not working out for us it's not working out for you and you could part mutually. Instead of like, you know, what we have now, which is a mess, which would be more of a free agency thing. But I think at the same time, we're already at the free agency thing. So you might as well do it that way. So I think that's something you need to look into. Um, I think Kirby Smart had a good idea there. And I think, yeah, I think there just needs to be rules, and a lot more rules and stipulations. I, 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 it sounds crazy saying this, the NCAA period with specific things, whether it be especially NIL, but, you know, transferring. And um, I think, and, you know, I think they've... NCAA has always been big on having a lot of rules, and it seems like they've backtracked maybe a little bit too much when it's come to, um, you know, the when you can leave and the opting out rules, and that really damaged Florida State in the bowl game, and then you know the NIL rules and stuff like that, and then you can bring up the um, even with recruiting stuff like that where some of these kids. Um, you know, commit early on, and you know, as soon as they're committing the first time, it's it's almost fifty fifty that they're not going to stay there, right. and it's th- there's a lot going on now that kind of needs to be you know there needs to be a little enforcement in my opinion. Agreed, agreed. Mm-hmm. Now, um, obviously, moving the signing day, early signing day because it should not be in the middle of ball practices. That's dumb. No, yeah. Um, actually, make it early signing day because like, December is not technically early signing day. No, because like you know, but well, you know, but yeah, no, I think there's some different things that need to look into. Um, but going like, but that's a topic for another day. I think we'll slide back into the newcomers. I think the other interesting player we got this week was um, Richie Leonard, who was a transfer from Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, good addition for Florida State. He and I think it actually transitions perfectly because my lead for the story was um, Richie Leonard is a perfect example of why the NCAA opened the transfer portal for players. Like, uh-huh. You know, he committed to Florida um, in. Um, as an early in the early day after the 2020 season, um, obviously Dan Mullen was fired after the 2021 season. Billy Napier's gone 11-14 in his first two years at Florida. So Leonard figured it's time for a change. Florida State reached out, and he liked to fit with Alex Atkins, offensive uh, line coach and offensive coordinator, and Mike Norvell. So he committed to Florida State. And like he said, I wasn't um, – I wouldn't say – I won't say going as a freshman. I had planned to leave later, and I surely want, wanted to leave later. So he used the portal the way it's intended to be used, not just for gain or because the team's tampering, but he left because he's like, this is not a fit for me anymore. I want to go somewhere I could be a fit. And he picked Florida State. Mm-hmm. Exciting player. Um, so we'll see how he does. But he was a three-star prospect out of college, number 48 offensive guard in the recruiting class for, two, for seven sports. He started all 12 games for Florida and led a team with 755 snaps last year. So... He's someone who's um, mentioned, like, you know, Darius Washington, he's training, cross-training, you can play anywhere. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do. Um, that story, once again, is online as well. Um, he was teammates with at um, Cocoa High School, right? Coco, yeah. Coco, okay. Mm-hmm. With um, Kaziah Holmes and Leonard Tony. Mm-hmm. So he talked about his recruitment there, and it's an interesting little story. Mm-hmm. Um been doing well. Um, he mentioned Darius Washington by name about like you know cross training as why he wants to do that, and um, it's a good little story. So you guys could check that out. Um, you know, other thing is we could talk about is um, we were not there, but Mike Norvell had a booster event in um, Orlando last week, and um, it's crazy booster schedule. That's just Florida cities and then Chicago randomly. Chicago randomly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
it is what it is, you know. It's um, so interesting. They're going, obviously, where alumni is. So I'm, yeah. I'm guessing there has to be a strong alumni group in Chicago. There must which, be, yeah. Which makes sense because, you know, you kind of go to bigger cities when you have bigger jobs and different things. So it's interesting. But um, so um, spring dates. Um, we had spring practice schedule. They announced it. Um, they start March 19th after spring break, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a, a different than last year, if you remember, Jack. I mean, you were doing the high school um, and... Um, Florida State sometimes kind of slow, hybrid beat at that slowly point. Slowly being introduced to Florida State yeah. while fully doing my feet beat still, yeah. So March 19th is the first practice, which I don't know what day that is, but I think it's a Monday. It's a Monday. Yeah, after spring break. It's after spring break. Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So they practice Tuesday, Thursday, and then March 26th, March 28th, April 2nd, April 4th. It's a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 16 practice days it looks like, um, which – um, with this, coinciding with the um, spring date will be the April 20th spring game, which will be played in a um, reduced capacity at Doak Campbell Stadium on their renovations. We'll talk about it in a second. Um, fans are still pissed off about that. Fourth I got of it is gone. <laughs> yeah. Maybe um, even more. Um, there's no west side of the stadium anymore, but... Um, <laughs> there is not. It's all gone. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's besides the point. We'll get to that in a second. Then they end... I like how Norvell does it. I think we um, got, you had to experience that last year. Is, um, they do the spring game. Then the next day they do a practice just to work on things. Um, that So it says April 21st, so they would conclude on a Saturday. April 21st is Sunday. Sunday. They conclude on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Usually they done a Monday, but I guess Sunday would be they just conclude the last spring practice. Are done with it? And go into summer workout stuff where they do individual stuff again. But... Interest, I, um, I think that I'm guessing it probably has to do with something with the NCAA calendar as well. But either way, um, that's the spring schedule, March 19th to April 21st. They start practicing, get going again. That's be our first look at this new look Florida State team. Yeah, and that's with the um, the returners, however, whatever that number is. Some of the newcomers are early enrollees between the transfers and the underclassmen, and then the rest of the team will join them after the season. After you know. Their school year ends and they come here for summer or whoever comes in, like, you know, for the fall. But there's a lot going on. Um, Florida State, when, all, all that to say is newcomers is over. I don't think we're going to talk to a football person again until the 19th. <laughs> It'll be a little bit of a dead period for a bit, which is but, nice. Which is nice because we'll, we'll, we'll get to end the podcast, but there's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, everywhere. <laughs> everywhere, yeah. But um, so, yeah, back to the stadium. Um, so, you know, me and Jack sat down with um, Michael Offord and Ben Zierden. A couple of weeks ago, Story the story went up on, I want to say, Sunday morning. It was delayed a little bit because, um, you know, Mike, Memor- Mike Martin's um, memorial and all that stuff going on around that, different things going on. But mm-hmm. story went up, front page of the newspaper, I believe, um, yesterday was Wednesday? Yes. 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 All these don't make sense anymore. But yeah, basically, what people need to know is, um, you know, the stories obviously. Um, well, it'll be linked in the store in the podcast, um, story, but um, Stadium's West Side, um, where the stands have been mostly, I think, ninety five percent removed, if not close to hundred percent. They're pretty close. They're yeah, pretty close. There's um, not a lot left. But um, it's a um, joint venture between um, a national for Manhattan. Um, and a local form Culpepper, Culpepper Construction, 
Ram Construction, the local company, is focused on the East Stands, and then Whiting Turner Construction Company is overseeing the standalone. Um, but yeah, like that's mostly gone. Yeah, the Albert J and Judith A Dunlap Football Center. But yeah, it's like it's close to one hundred percent gone. The stands on the West Side, mm. which is interesting. I, you guys could go in the store, and, but they have a company that's bringing in. Um, that's put together um, seats for Formula One in Las Vegas and different air, um, venues. But um, Zierton said it's gonna be a stand. It's gonna be seats that are gonna be more comfortable, have more room than the current one. So yeah, could be a little bit of better seating, but less seating. Um, I think one thing we're not gonna go too far into the story, but I think one thing I agree with Zierton and Alfred is you have to remember it sucks. It's gonna be tough to deal with next year, but this is necessary to get Florida State. Doe Campbell Stadium modernized. You the stadium experience is is important for fans, and I think we can all agree Doe Campbell Stadium is not the best stadium to go to right now. I mean, they 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 haven't updated it since since it was built. Yeah, they've yeah. done like in, updates inside, but nothing like you know from the ground level. Like you know, it's gonna be like it's been minor facelifts and minor like you know right right this can be actual like construction renovations it's needed it's a beautiful it's a great stadium it's a great venue it's one of the best college football stadiums out there mm-hmm. and i get like you know people are upset about you're going to go from like seventy nine thousand fans to like alfred said to me in the upper 60s lower 70s so mm-hmm. you can lose some seats and the price are going to go up a little bit but i like the more intimate stadiums like i, I like the idea anyways i like that since COVID, I don't want to be around 100,000 people anyways, you know? Um, it sounds like a mess, but, um, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's the whole thing of, like, you can tell it's it needs an update. It's quite literally needed an update. Like, like when you're walking in, like, as soon as you get your ticket, like, clicked or scanned or whatever, you walk in, and you just see, like, the scaffolding of holding all the stadium up, and it just feels like a cave under there. Like, that needs to be redone. Like, the last time I saw that, like, at a college football stadium was when I was covering, like, a game at, in, at IU um, in college. And that stadium's been redone completely. Um, the stadium needs an update. A lot of the facilities on the campus are getting updates and have needed updates. That was part of Alfred's plan in coming here and taking over his AD. The softball stadium's gotten huge updates. The baseball stadium has had I, I some significant updates. Have you seen the new stands? The new debt party deck yet in person? Me? Yeah. I, I, I've driven past it. Yeah, yeah so you get, you get to see, I guess, um, you'll be covering um, softball next weekend at home. Yeah. It'll be your first time seeing a party deck. It's, mm-hmm. It looks really good. It's, they've done a good job out there. So it's just about modernizing the stadium. Um, I don't think you've been in the trophy room yet for FSU baseball, but you saw the pictures I sent you. Um, yeah. They've done a good job of modernizing where you could touch, like, you know, it's a screen showing FSU's, play, like, All-Americans, FSU's players in the major leagues. They're doing a similar thing for softball in their trophy room. Softball and soccer, eventually. I think soccer's getting much where they're going to show international players. Because the problem with that is, like, you, they're running out of room where they put some of this stuff. Because when you have a successful program like they do, um, which you want, you want to be successful, obviously. It, it, it is. It, it's comical because you do walk in there and it, you could, like, I think it's with both. Like, the fact that they're, like, stockpiling, like, NCAA like regional trophies like on top of each other in there and there's all this other stuff and there's like gnomes in there too and there's it's it, it, it that that room does need some sort of expansion because they are like and that's good like Essen said it's like it's good that they're winning and they are running out of room they do need the room but yeah I mean they're getting the updates they need all for campus I will say 
In my personal opinion, I think the Tucker Center should be the next update after all this football stuff because it is substantially old. The interior, like where, like the seats and stuff like that, like that where the game is played. That's I think that's pretty fine. But the concourse and all that stuff around it, I think, should be updated as well. That's also another very old arena. I would love to see. Um, I think we talked about this before. I would love to see. Like, there's a nice little area out there. In front of the stadium, I'd love to see, like, food trucks lined up out there. Yeah, although that that space is huge. I don't... Yeah, that space is gigantic, and I don't know why it's so food, big. Food trucks, you could set that up throughout the season, and you could get people... Like, you know, like, imagine mm-hmm. the um, tra- traffic you get coming there just during the entire week, because, like, there's no good, um, you know, like, um, food trucks spots in Tallahassee. That's a great spot for that. You could go under covers as it's raining. And just move stuff around and just have different options. I think mm-hmm. it's a great idea. No, I mean, there's a, there's a lot there's a lot of stuff to do with the spaces out there and stuff like that. So but definitely, it'll be yeah. interesting to see what's in the future for athletic renovations. Definitely, um, I think they're doing a great job. Um, you guys can check out the story. It goes into details about like you know what the capacity will be next year, fifty five thousand. What the future capacity is after all the renovations done. Why they're doing it. Um, just stuff like that. Modernization. It's a fully packed story. Um, I worked hard on that one, uh, so I appreciate if you guys read it. Um, but um, and if you already read it, thank you. But um, you know, so final football thing we want to touch on today is the draft in April. Florida State had, um, I think it was twelve players invited to the combine. Jordan Travis, Trey Benson, Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, Jaheim Bell, Bring Feisk, um, Fabian Lovett, Jared Verse, Tatum Bethune, Kalen Deloach, Ronaldo Green, Jarion Jones, one name notable name I did not see, and that was kind of surprised as Akeem Dent. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think he'll still be drafted decently high, um, and people regret not inviting him because that's a damn good player. But um, just interesting, um, you know, talking to Andy Staples was one of the people that was at the um, DJU's availability yesterday, and he was just talking about Brain Fisk, um, talking to him, and you can attest to this, Jack, too, when we talked to him. Well spoke, very well spoken. One of my favorite players to talk to. A very intelligent kid. Um, he's been he jumped in the I think Jack did a story last week about like you know the Senior Bowl. He jumped with that with his performances there. Oh, Braden, yeah, yeah. I think once he gets into a um, when he gets in for one on one interviews, he's going to jump up even higher. Oh yeah, because he's a, a phenomenal person to talk to. He's smart and not just like you know one of those people that talks like he's smart. He's actually smart and an intelligent human being to talk to. And he's Remarkable. His stock has gone up a His ton. Stock. And I think when people actually talk to him, so it's a down for one-on-one interviews, the stock's going even higher. This kid is a stud. Um, you know, He's a good person. He's good on and off the field, too. He's a good person. He's a great player. So, yeah, I mean, the mock drafts I have that I did it for the story, you know, he was not included in the two-round mock drafts. But, um, you know, Pro Football Focus had um, Jared Verse, the Minnesota Vikings. I know Douglas Soul, our um, First Amendment <laughs> reporter, is jumping up and down because of that pick, if that happens. Yeah, talk um, about fans that don't make any sense. Douglas <laughs> is from West Virginia, and he's a Vikings fan. But, you know, to, I guess to each their own. <laughs> but, yeah, so um, Keon Coleman, number 32 to the um, Kansas City Chiefs. Imagine him. They with, don't need more talent anyway. <laughs> but good for Keon if, if this goes this way. Yeah, no, uh, you know, any from like yeah, Coleman draft like PF wrote can go any from a top ten pick to second round of his draft season. A great target for, but yeah, no, you put him with um, Rasheed Rice, um, Travis Kelsey, and um, Patrick Mahomes. I'm sure people have heard of him. Three Super Bowls in his first what five years. Yeah, 
Really good quarterback. Um, he's good. He's pretty good. Um, and then, sorry, second round. Um, Brain Fisk going yeah, to Detroit Ryan. He's back to Michigan. That's where he, um, he played college ball. Yeah, Western Michigan. So that'd be a good spot for him. Mm. NFL.com had Jared versus six to the New York Giants. They had Keon Coleman to the Kansas City Chiefs. Noticing a trend here, huh? He put it all in camps, too. Um, second round, um, Johnny Wilson to the Colts. Boo. Third round, Cleveland Browns, Trey Branson. <laughs> So another interesting pick, um, Jared versus sixteen, Keon Coleman to the Bills, which we I like. The, I would like that. I like the Bills pairing him with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, Dawson, Dawson Knox, and um, why is the tight end's name slipping my mind? But that's like Dawson Kincaid. It's still a great offense. That'd be a fun spot. Second round, um, Braden Fisk to the Cincinnati Bengals, which would be interesting. Johnny Wilson has to make a long, long drive to Jacksonville. Yeah, to <laughs> Jacksonville, he'd be paired with um, Christian Kirk, Trevor Lawrence. An interesting spot there. Mm-hmm. Walter Football, who's actually um, one of the most reliable when it comes to mock drafts. Okay. Um, Jared versus the Steelers. Wow. TJ Watt. Him and TJ Watt together? Wow. And then <sighs> Keon Coleman to the New England Patriots. Oh, my God. Speaking of people, fans, that would be extru- um, extravagantly happy. Just talk about someone who's not going to stop talking if that's going to have our prep supporter who is a big Patriots If you're, if you're from Miami, if you went to Florida International, or you're from Boston – in any context, I'm missing one. Oh, and if you're Irish, Liam will talk to your treat you like royalty. So if any FSU fans are any of those three, feel free to reach out to him because. Uh, but yeah, Keon Coleman going to the New England Patriots in this uh, this mock draft. Uh, the Patriots need receivers. I'm not gonna feel hear the end of it. Where did who did they have going the Vikings? Uh, who was that? Was that Jared Verse. Jared Verse. Um, um, I don't think Doug would be as crazy. And Doug's crazy, but I don't think he'd be as wound up as Liam would be. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I'd be okay with Johnny Wilson to the Dolphins, you know, as a Dolphins fan. but That's not on here. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just throwing one out there on a spot. I would like for all of them to be on the Bears. The Bears are god-awful at everything. Hey, hey, I mean, they might get – that's a topic for another day, but they might trade Justin Fields to get Caleb Kim Williams. Williams. Ones. But that's a topic for another day. another quarterback. Oh, great. Yeah, um, yeah. I just want to watch them that much. All right, I love how um we'll, next um you know football we're done with um thank God sorry <laughs> um we got thirty minutes of football talk but um we're gonna go to the Clearwater tournament a little bit exciting um Florida State starts today at four p.m. against Stanford Stanford just stomped Georgia Tech fifteen to seven just a ridiculously great team and I don't think I'm not even sure if they threw Canada in that game who is probably arguably the best pitcher in college softball especially now that we have the sad news. Jordy Ball is out Jordy for the season. Jordy Ball is out. Um, with an ACL injury. I'm not sure if it was an ACL tear. She never confirmed that she was an ACL injury, mm-hmm. which is a like, devastating. Um, you want Jordy Ball is fun to watch, regardless if you root for um, her or not. Transferred to Nebraska. Went to go help her hometown team after winning a championship, a couple championships with Oklahoma. Um, I wanted. To, I was excited to watch her pitches here for Nebraska and see what she could do for that program. But obviously out for the season. We'll get a medical venture and be able to pitch next year. I t- when I mentioned news to Lonnie Shant, she was out for a season. She was sad, saddened by that news because she's like, that sucks for uh, – Lonnie loves the growth of so- college softball. That's all what she roots for, number one thing, you know, much want to see. And we all want to see with the sport that's growing so fast. Um, but, I mean, we'll talk about the Clearwater tournament. Lonnie mentioned, you know, the glo- growth of that um, tournament since um, it started in 2019 has been amazing. Or 2018, 2019, whatever it was. 
been amazing that she said like you know they've outgrown the venue at this point yeah because ESPN put the, put, put the, this together in 2019 and they've outgrown the venue mm-hmm. FSU's playing four top 20 teams this weekend over there in Stanford number four Stanford today when this by the time this comes out at 4 p.m. Thursday to play number t- um, t- um, Friday they play 1 p.m. UC- number 20 UCLA Saturday get number six Georgia. So weird seeing UCLA that low. Yeah, and um, they're not very good. They aren't good. It's just they they've been good for so long, and they'll just yeah uh, do that. But and the number um, two Tennessee in the nightcap game, the you know the featured game at eight p.m. on ESPN. I should mention today's games on ESPNU. Friday's games ESPNU. Saturday's games ESPN two. All the games are on ESPNU, ESPN, ESPN two, which is fantastic, fantastic growth for the sport. I love college softball. I think we talk about that a lot. Yeah. Um, so it's gonna be fun to watch them go. Um, just hilarious to me. You have a Pitt men's basketball email coming in. <laughs> I I get the weirdest emails. I've been getting those. I've been getting. I get, I've been invited to LIU's like blue and yellow game like three separate times, <laughs> and I I haven't signed. I, the Pitt one makes sense because I had to apply for credentials, but I didn't sign anything for LIU Long Island University. But, but anyway, oh my god, yeah, um, that was weird. Back to softball. <laughs> yeah. um, that's just funny that it popped up and it's like, what's going on? Here? Weird stuff everywhere. It's fine. I, don't get emails that I need at all, ever. <laughs> That's no excuse to email me, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, FSU went 3-2 at the invitation last year. They um, beat number 15, Arizona 6-4, number 4, Arkansas 9-6, and Louisiana, number 22, Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns. Louisiana. 10-2. They had an entertaining game recently. They had lost to UCLA 6-4 and Alabama, number 12, Alabama 2-1. But um, like I mentioned, these games should be fun this year. Lonnie said the environment is, in general is very cool. It's got a little postseason feel to it. It's not just the team that – it's not with the teams that with the energy and excitement built around this with ESPN, mm-hmm. which, you know, is a naughty word. She's not going to say ESPN. We're not – no. Okay. <laughs> I'm making a joke. Here. I know. <laughs> it's been but, so um, triggering over these last two months. <laughs> Invitationals played at Eddie Seymour Complex in Clearwater, um, you know. They play a Stanford team, like I mentioned, beat them 15-7. They softball every day. Mm-hmm. I'm, go- I'm going out of town this weekend to Chicago to visit my girlfriend. Otherwise, um, I have family in Tampa. I would have gone down to – I'm like – I would told our editor, I'm like, I'm going to go down and cover a couple of games over there and see – like, you know, just get the experience, but I can't do it this weekend. Um, but it's just, I mean, it's just cool to watch, too. I could argue I've seen games at this venue before, and it, it truly is – even just for college softball period, it's not big enough. <laughs> Especially when you're hosting – some of like the best games of the year, regular season games of the year so far. I mean, some of these teams like are wild. In my opinion, watching the Women's College World Series last year, Stanford was the team that gave Oklahoma the most problems, in my opinion, in that postseason run. Um, yeah, Florida State played some tight games, but Stanford had their moments for a bit. I think um, it's been cool to see there's, two rem- there's one rematch from last year where Florida State lost to UCLA. You get them again this year. Yeah, you get UCLA. So revenge yeah. game. Florida State beat Florida State. I mean, Florida State beat Florida State. Florida State beat um, Georgia in the Super Regional, correct? Yeah. And Tennessee in the World Series. So two um, rematches there. Mm-hmm. So you have some um, teams that are probably going to be targeting Florida State's back. Florida State's going to be targeting UCLA's back. Stanford, Stanford. So it's going to be interesting to see um, how this plays out. Um, Georgia's 5-0. and Some of the team, Tennessee's, you know, got to a really good start. So... And, and you have, like, some great players like Destiny Rodriguez. Look at those stats, Jack. 
750 batting average. Riley West, 714 batting average. You know, they're just hitting everything that's coming out. Yeah, oh I mean, my God. to be fair, they played some worse, lower opponents in Florida. Oh yeah, State, but, but um, Sydney still. Kuma from Georgia has a 750 average. The thing about Georgia is like they returned all of these players from. If you remember, all yeah, the I, players. I, yeah. I mean, a team that makes it to Super Regionals is nothing to gawk at. And then they and then oh, it, when they make it there, and then they return all their players. It's not like they had a great run with the senior class. No, it's a team that returns a lot no, of talent. They're, they're going to be a problem again this year. Well, meanwhile, Florida State, and I want to caution this: Florida State could they go one and three in the tournament? They could go two and two. They could go zero and four. I don't think Lonnie's going to lose any. I think me and Jack we talked about this. They're not going to lose any sleep over it. They shouldn't. This is a February is a learning time for Florida State, especially with these young team. They have so many freshmen playing. They have so many younger players playing. Um, McKenna Reed, people forget, is gonna be is you know the quote unquote ace, and she's only a sophomore. Yeah, she's not been in this role before, so it's gonna be growing pain for the entire team. This gonna be a, this gonna be a year that Florida State could lose eleven to fifteen games, and people gonna be like, "Oh my God, has Lonnie lost it?" And it's like, no, Lonnie Halameda is a Hall of Fame coach. Mm-hmm. She has not lost it. She is not gonna lose sleep over like you know these games early in the season because she knows later in the year it's gonna pay off because she wants her team to grow, even if it doesn't pay off this year. This is a young team with a lot of freshmen, a lot of sophomores, a lot of juniors. That is going to be dangerous next year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, Jason Ani Beecham has been a fun player to watch so far. Can um, hit the hell out of the ball. Um, Issa Torres, the shortstop, has you know had a couple errors, I think, in the opening weekend. But hit the ball well, had a game-winning hit against um, Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of young talent. You know, Ashlyn Danley looked like a freshman in her debut against um, – Charlotte, the 6-5, 10-inning, torturous loss at the watch. Um, four hours of softball game I was not planning on. Um, but, yeah, no. So it's me a growing experience. Like, take what the team did. They lost the opener to Charlotte where they had miscues, missed opportunities. They bounced back with a 11 nothing win over um, Charlotte the next day, the next night. So it's a team that's going to – it's going to be more important – Whatever happens in game one, day one, whatever, it's how this team responds and how they are at the end of the season that's going to matter more than what they do now. You know, UCLA started off two and three, speaking of um, right. teams that struggled. You asked about their low ranking. They went two and three in the tournament. They lost to Oklahoma State to Texas, um, allowing two grand slams in one game. 16 nothing loss. So um, softball in early February or um, in early February with – Tournament play and with just the parody in softball there is now outside of Oklahoma. Um, you have to remember the growth of the sport means more programs getting better, which means more the records are going to come down a little bit. Teams are not going to go undefeated or one loss. Mm-hmm. So it's, gonna be, it's good for the sport of softball, these early season upsets. Charlotte was an NCAA, team, NCAA tournament team last year. I, um, they were fun to watch. They have a ton of talent. They're going to be a team that's probably going to be there for it at the end of the season. So I would not discount that as a bad loss for Florida State. That's a game they probably should have won. But softball, you're going to lose games. They lost to Longwood last year in the opener. Yeah. yeah I mean, not the opening game, but an opening tournament. Yeah. So. No, I think you're seeing that across a lot of women's sports, just the growth of everyone kind of trying to meet up with everyone. I mean, um, you know, we're seeing it a bit in women's basketball as well, where, you know, some of the teams, uh, except for South Carolina, um, you know, are kind of get, taking some chinks out of the armor, um, chunks out of the armor today. Um, in some games here and there, um, which is good because you um, don't really want to see those teams running away anymore. Um, it means people are being able to compete with them. Um, you seeing it in softball as well. Um, some teams, you know, really get getting competitive here and there. So it's a good thing to see either way. It's you know, it might not seem like losing is like a good thing, but when it comes to developing um, 
you know, sports and stuff like that, uh, it's good to see kind of teams that haven't been there for a while winning and beating teams that have been there for a while. Oh, definitely. No, it's really good. It's a fun thing. Um, I would say um, I'm going to um, promote another story in this. I think we're going to be doing a lot of promote story promoting mm-hmm. for the rest of the, um, this podcast because we've done a lot of um, work for you guys to be ready for softball, baseball, basketball, anything. I'm really proud of the work we've done, so I'm going to promote it. Um, you know, we'll get to some of um, Jack's stories he did that were really great as well. We talked about Trevor Jackson already. But um, I have a complete guide for you with stats, top players to watch, um, what they did in the first weekend of all four teams that FSU plays this weekend. Um, and then let's talk a little about the weekend. I know, um, Jack, I don't know how much softball you watch since you were um, celebrating, Not but so um, having fun. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, Kaylee Harding um, was a player that we both – no, he's going to have a breakout year this year. Mm-hmm. Um, had a breakout weekend. Um, I think she's on the cups of being a superstar in the sport. Mm-hmm. She had, um, you know, um, where to go? She had two home runs, seven RBIs, including a grand slam and love nothing bounce back winning at Charlotte Friday after the opening day loss. For the weekend, she hit um, five twenty nine. With a and six hundred score players and running runners in scoring position with three home runs, two doubles, and eleven RBIs and nine runs scored, just a breakout weekend. Um, she is a fun player to watch. Mm-hmm. When she swings the bat, she's so good. Um, just a great player to have. Um, she played first base. I think in the opener, she played some third base. She played in outfield, so Lonnie could put her anywhere in the lineup and get her bat in there. I think that's going to be a fun team, thing about this team. There's so much talent. They're going to have to move people around to get playing time. Um, so these are my takeaways from the weekend. I just want to give you go over them quickly. In the freshman success, like I mentioned, Issa Torres had the game-winning um, RB walk-off singles to play two runs in that 9-8 win. Deisani Beecham hit her first career home run when they, um, FAMU, they run rolled FAMU 11-0. Mimi Gooden um, threw five shutout innings against the Rattlers to earn the win, the shutout win. Um, you know, Torres went 7-15 on the weekend with two doubles, two walks, two RBIs, and five runs scored. She also threw her first career base. Beecham hit five thirty three with a home run, seven RBIs, and 30 runs scored. So she had a really good weekend. Made some good plays on defense at third base. At third base. Danley, um, you know, showed off some of her potential. A couple of their freshmen had a good weekend. Um, I think the fun thing was um, going to the third takeaway is the pitching, okay? <laughs> um, Emma Wilson on the opener threw six and one-third innings. Oh, sorry, she threw six and two-thirds in innings. That topped her career high, which was five and two-thirds a couple years ago. But it also topped her um, pitching total from last year, when she threw six and one-third innings. Check. She threw six and one-third innings last year and topped that this year already with in one outing. Mm-hmm. Then she ended up pitching, like I think, nine and two-thirds over that weekend with a 217 ERA. Mm-hmm. So she's already pitched more than she has throughout her FSU career. Um, she's a senior now. Reed struggled a little bit in her opener, but um, Sunday against the Rattlers, she had six... She struck out six and four scoreless innings. Um, she has taken the next step. Allison Royalty took the next step. She gave up um, one allowed one earned run on six hits and six and one third innings, striking out six and allowing no walks in her um, weekend. So how far this team goes is going to come down to pitching mm-hmm. because we've seen how good this team can be offensively. They scored, I think, 42 runs over the weekend. After you know, So had a really good weekend. Um, the pitching calmed down. It was against lesser opponents. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle a Stanford, who just put up, you know, was it 15 runs on a Georgia Tech team. I don't know how good their pitching is, but either way, mm-hmm. they put up 15 runs on a Georgia Tech team. So it's going to be interesting to see how Florida State's pitching translates this weekend from what they did last weekend. It's a talented team. 
But if they go back to Oklahoma City, it's going to come back to come down to pitching, how well they pitch. Because at the end of the day, the be- teams that pitch the best are usually the ones going to be holding up the trophy at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Offense is great, but once you face great pitching, I think the game slows down a little bit. The running slows down. So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting what how Florida State takes the next step with pitching. And it's not be, it might not be pretty results this weekend. I think everyone. Yeah, I think people should be prepared for that. This be this could be a hard weekend, mm-hmm. or it could be a great weekend. And surprise everyone, but I I think people should be ready for a weekend where they struggle pitching. They do some things on offensively, but they might lose some games. But it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Just like the opening day loss was not the end of the world, and people overreacted to that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, softball. Anything else, that Jack? No, good. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, um, I'm excited about this team. It's a fun team always. Lonnie's always fun to talk to post game. Mm. Um, you know, I think the thing about that is like we got Issa Torres and Ashlyn Danley before opening day, opening day, opening weekend, and for freshman number, I was impressed how well they spoke. So, it's a it's a fun team to be around. It's a fun team. Um, it's an exciting young team. So, whatever they do this year could be just, you know, gravy on top of what they do in the future. Mm. So, softball. Jack, tomorrow's opening day for baseball. It is opening day tomorrow. Um, playing Butler on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Kicking off. Just kicking off first pitches at 5 p.m. at Hauser. Um, yeah, it's a very different team this year. Um, you have 26 newcomers coming in, whether they're coming in as freshmen or they're coming in through the portal. Um, FSU was extremely busy in the offseason as well. Um, you know, Link Jarrett talked about how he is pretty confident with the group that he has. He's happy with the group he has, but he knows there's going to be a learning curve coming into all of this and stuff like that, mainly with the younger guys and just establishing confidence under them, whether it be the pitching and Pitching's the big thing they talked about, and just youth and just getting them used to the environment as well. He would like to see um, some a better defensive presence from the team in general and adjusting to awkward moments. I think that's the phrase he used, and just unexpected moments and stuff like that. You know, everything anywhere in sports, it's nothing's never routine. Um, and he just wants them to be aware and a little bit more sharper on those rut- non-routine moments and stuff like that. And I think you could ask that for any team as well. But um, you know, there's a lot of guys coming in. This is a very different team from last year. You know, last year was a you know it was a different year to say the least from what Florida State fans would expect they missed the tournament for the first time since 1977 um you know they were sub 500 it wasn't a great year but um you know you got to give you know Link Jarrett a little bit of slack as well it was his first year at the helm um of coaching this team um now he's been able to you know establish a little bit more bring in a few more not a few more a lot more of his players <laughs> as well um you know we're really going to get a little bit more of a identity this year of his teams um so it'll be interesting to see how things start off i think like you mentioned the identity of his team like if you remember he got hired um i want to say in february march so he didn't have a full recruiting period so he this is his first off season full off season he got florida state and he brought some good players you know like um he announced the starting rotation last um last yesterday when we um for availability um, so Cam Leiter, a transfer from UCF, gets opening a nod. Mm-hmm. Um, looks like, you know, I've got to watch him at a practice. Looks electric. Hit 97 at UCF last year. Has a ton of potential. Has four good pitches, as Link pointed out yesterday. Um, he gets opening night nod. He's And I think the thing about EOC Jack is um, he pitches with a lot of, like, um, but sometimes baseball lacks. It was a lot of fire and, like, emotion on the mound. And mm-hmm. so he'll celebrate a strikeout. He'll celebrate a, you know, all of that stuff. So it's fun Good, to watch yeah. him pitch. 
Um, Jamie Arnold is starting game two, Saturday at 2 p.m. Connor Whitaker starts Sunday's noon getaway game. Um, Jack will be at Friday and Sunday's games probably covering them. Yep. So mm-hmm. um, in between, he'll have the Duke basketball game as well. So, um, you know, yeah, fun, fun weekend. weekend. Yeah. But um, hopefully it's not going to go a billion innings and a billion overtimes like you had. But. Um, I mean, if things go up, play out like they should on paper, it should not. <laughs> it should not for either team, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, um, so good weekend rotation. Um, I really, I'm excited to see, you know, um, Arnold took the next step. When I watch him in practice, um, hit 96 at some one point. And Jared had a lot of good things, you know, not to backtrack, but he had a lot of good things to say about Leiter as well. And, you know, he's, it seemed like he's very excited to see what he's going to do this year. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Arnold started last year in the rotation as a freshman. Um, mm-hmm. six, four, 34 year over 44 innings across 24 appearances, eight starts. But um, he put up a 279 in the Cape Cod All-Star League and was a, um, you know, Cape Cod All-Star. Um, hit 90. He... Jared said he's between 90 and 96. The practice I was at, he hit 95, 96. Um, you know, he has a little lower slot lefty, so it's a little different watching off to come off the bat. So it's a little more tougher for batters to identify sometimes with his pitches. But mm-hmm. talented pitcher. Um, um, and then Connor Whitaker is a veteran. Cam Whitaker. Cam Whitaker. Mm-hmm. Um, is a quote-unquote um, veteran of the staff. Um, good pitcher. Junior. I think he's a junior. Um, you know, 38, 38 games, 8 starts in his career. He's posted at 375 ERA across 115 one-third innings. So, you know, he's thrown a bit. So, you got a good um, weekend rotation, I think, um, can keep runs off the board, especially against, I don't know what Butler looks like because I don't want to speculate too much, but um, mm-hmm. they should hit, they should handle their own pitching. Um, now, I could, um, what I think the lineup could look like, I'm not going to go with a, you know, one through nine lineup, but um, I think you could expect a lot of McGuire Holbrook at catcher mm-hmm. as a starter, but he'll split time with um, Jackson West, who is um, an Alabama transfer and went to Childs. He went to Childs, yes. Childs High School. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a wild card could be Marco Dingas, who is a great power hitter, transfer to Tallahassee Community College. Moving down infield, I think at first base, it looks like we will get, um, I was going to say Jorge Cantu, but that's a former Major League Baseball player for the Marlins and Tampa Bay Rays. But Daniel Cantu, who's a UCF, um, USF transfer, it sounds like um, Link said he's locked down the third base spot. Camp Smith has got the third base spot down, locked down. Um, so you'll see those two are locks for the um, – in an outfield you have the three outfielders in um, <clears throat> James Tibbs, who was the best hitter last year, Jaime Ferrer, who's going to be probably um, – was one of their top hitters, really good doubles hitter, contact hitter. And then Maz Ross, who probably projects as a leadoff hitter, mm-hmm. as your three outfielders. So the two positions are really up for grabs or in infield. But I think um, Drew Furrow. Furrow, yes. Furrow. Um, UCF transfer and former Florida High standout. Yes, Florida High. Mm-hmm. Florida High standout is probably um, going to be with um, Alex Ladois, a North Florida transfer. Gonna battle up for second short. I think it sounds like Lodoy says second. Um, shorts up down. Furrow's gonna be at second base, but then um, Cal Fisher, a freshman who people they're really really high on, and Tiny Kamako, a sophomore returner, is someone else they're high on. Could project to play some, get some playing time mm-hmm. and get in there. Um, bullpen. They have a lot of arms. They have a lot of options. Um, yeah, a lot of pitchers. A lot of pitchers. Um, we won't go too deep into that. Yeah. <laughs> but one pitcher we can talk about a little bit. Um, is um, Jacob Marlowe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feature coming out on him tomorrow, opening day. He went through open-heart surgery. 
um, as a 21 year old. It was a condition he was born with, so it was not surprising he thought he'd have to go through a surgery when he's in his 30s, probably later 30s. But he got to Florida State. They ran a test in August, late August, August, early September. And the numbers were concerning, so like we need to go get you to test it and see if you need surgery. Um, October eighteenth was his. October fifteenth was his twenty first birthday. Eight days later, he went under the knife for an open heart surgery. That's crazy. Um, up the day of the surgery, it looks everything was successful at first, and then he they his BPM jack dropped to twenty three. Jesus. Beats per minute. Like think about Excuse that. Like <laughs> yeah, like think about that. Like that's crazy. That's extremely low. So um, they had to dangerously low. <laughs> dangerously low. So they had to put in a pacemaker and did a surgery and a second open heart surgery. Think about that. Two open heart surgeries at 21 years old. Not even like, like 21 years old, like 364 days. 21 years old. Again, not that makes a huge difference, but you know. Well, yeah. Either way, 21 years old, two open heart surgeries within five days. Um, he may or not, may not pitch this year. FSU has not made a final call on that. Mm-hmm. But it looks more than likely he's going to have a medical red shirt. But I go, I talked to um, Michael Posey, the new um, pitching coach. Who's where do you, Where's he from? Uh, NFC. North NFC. Florida North Florida Christian. Mm-hmm. He came over from um, HBU. Yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> the real HBU. No, um, DBU. Sorry, DBU, not HBU. DBU. <laughs> some, some sort of Baptist school in Texas. Yeah, DBU is actually very good at baseball. But DBU, he came over there. Um, Florida State hired him. Um, great hire. Um, great person mm-hmm. to talk to. Um, but he mentioned, you know, that I talked to him about that. I talked to um, Charlie Maurer. Who is a former coach at Collier? Brandon Collier is that Baron right? Collier? Baron Collier, yeah. mm-hmm. who is now at Jump um, Newman Cardinal Newman, Car- not hey. Cardinal Newman, um, John Newman or whatever. Oh, is in it in Palm Beach in uh, Naples? It's a, uh, John Newman was in Saint, Saint, John, Saint John Newman. Okay. Saint John Newman in Naples. Um, talked to him and got talked to um, Janet Marlowe, J- um, Jacob's mother, and talked to Jacob. Mm-hmm. And just put together a story about just his trip, you know. Um, his coach put a baseball in his hand when he was not even out of surgery yet. And just, um, you know, t- as motivation to help him get back on the mound. Um, talk about that experience. Um, just his mom's experience of watching her just her health personal health she had to go through to watch her son to go through the surgery not once but twice you know mm-hmm. um, talk to her a little bit um, you know how this test UCF doctors might have missed a red flag on a test over there he came over here to FSU they flagged it and they sent him off just that journey the first open heart surgery he had the process that was like you know flying up to Boston why they picked Boston why they pick General Massachusetts Hospital mm-hmm. Massachusetts General sorry um and just the surgery, the process, 23 BPM, the process, why he had to go through a second thing and, you know, what happened, what the diagnosis was, all of that's in here. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, and his relationship to his high school coach who, um, you know, is the major reason he had a ha- his family had a house in Boston. His father knew a connection to the Boston Massachusetts General Board for a hospital. So he played a huge part. And this, this um, player having, you know, in this high school player who, you know, could not be worried about investing anymore because he's not playing for him anymore. But just the extraordinary ways that he went through as well mm-hmm. to help his former player out. Just how FSU worked with this, the player that who had not been on campus for long, who had not thrown a pitch for them yet. But mm-hmm. they took went to great precautions and great, you know, diligence to make sure he was comfortable and recovering. So it's just a... Fun story of overall, but how much 
a community matters and how much FSU tried to help him. And just a fun story overall. Mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely check it out. Um, it's a great opening, get you ready for opening day. He might not pitch at all this year, but the fact he's up back on the field, he's throwing again for the FSU. The fact that he's alive. The fact yeah. that he's alive, the fact that he's back in the field, able to throw a baseball. He threw the baseball for the first time on January 29th, mm-hmm. and he's slowly making progress of like you know throwing from further. I think he was throwing for 60 minutes, for th- three minutes for three times a week. And he's, um, when he first started, now he's going to build up, ramp up, but it's going to be a while before he's able to throw. Mm-hmm. I think Michael Posey told me 10 weeks before he's about throwing an actual scrimmage to a live batter in a scrimmage. So that's not even through, in a game, so that's far, far away. Mm-hmm. And that might not happen, like you know, I mentioned, at all this season. But, like you mentioned, he had two open heart surgeries at 21. He's alive. That's what matters. Yeah, it's important. That's what matters. You know, uh, his mom had a great quote, which is part of my headline. FSU is where he's meant to be. Um, so, great story. <laughs> Um, I'm very proud of it. I hope you guys should read it, check it out. Mm-hmm. Spent some good time on this one. But, um, yeah, no, that's all we have for baseball today. Opening mm-hmm. day, tomorrow, we, we'll have great information. You know, just check us out. We have opening day starters. We have a preview that I ran earlier. And they're about just a breakdown of returners yeah. and newcomers, which, you know, helps a lot because it's, it's a lot. It's a completely different Florida State roster. Mm-hmm. You're going you're gonna to need the media guide when you go out there. And oh, yeah, no, you will. You will. Um, but, yeah, no. Um, so, baseball, we got covered. Um, let's talk about women's basketball a little bit. Yeah. You know, thrilling game number tw- – unfortunate loss, 98-94 in double overtime against Notre Dame. Hell of a game. It was so much fun. Um, Although at that point I was like, okay, Florida State, either make the game-winning shot now or miss it. I do not want a third overtime. I'm sorry. I was – it was Super Bowl Sunday. I had to get all this work done because I wanted to get done before the Super Bowl. So I was like, come on. Just get me out Wrap of it. Wrap it up, yeah. Wrap it up. Um, fun game. Tonight a lot to NASA talk about, like, you know, the importance of women's – how important that game is for women's basketball. Um, just an important game. I'm going to have a feature on her tomorrow. I talked to three national analysts, um, and she was compared to an NBA Hall of Famer. How's that for a tease, Jack? There you go. How's that for a tease? Um, but, yeah, and no, I talked to three different analysts, and um, that's going to come out Sunday morning before the Miami game, the second Miami game. This one's in Miami. But um, just a fun overall story. We're going to be able to talk about a great player who I think, I think you could agree is still underappreciated nationally. Yeah, I would say so. She's getting awards, but I don't think a casual fan knows who Tanaya Latson is, which is a mm-hmm. damn shame. And I'll go ahead and take this time to say this as well. Florida State fans, especially students, get out there and support the women's team. This is a really good team that went a double overtime with Notre Dame, and the student section was completely empty. It was a damn shame. I, I will say they are a lot more excited to watch the men's team and win more than the men's team. So, yeah, you should really be going out that there really should be a stronger appreciation period for the women's teams here, not to rag on the men's teams, but the women's teams are not the men's teams are good, but the women's teams, soccer, softball, basketball are some of the best in the country. Like, yeah, not just the ACC. They're some of the best in the country. Like, get out there. Like, you go watch these games. They're they're fun too. These this team's a lot of fun to watch as well. That's a big thing. Oh no, it's a, one of the more exciting teams to play. How they run and gun. They score a lot of points. They turn teams over. They you know play really fast pace, which is like you know. Something Bill Ferreira, the assistant coach, put in with Brooke Wyckoff, who she brought over from Florida, rival Florida, when she got here. They put up, play a fast offense, a fun offense, and then Tanaya Latson is the perfect fit for that offense. Here's this. How's this for a statement, Jack? We know some of the great players that have come through Florida State for women's basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Brooke Wyckoff being one of them. You know, K.K. Simpson's a great player. Um, 
the obviously Natasha Howard, who's in the WNB now, just to name a few of them. Mm-hmm. So yesterday I talked to um, Kelly Gramlich, who works for ACC, nothing, um, nothing but hoops or whatever it's called, the ACC Network, and she said made a strong statement. She said Tania Latson might go down when she's done as the best player in FSU moments history. Yeah, I believe that. That that's, makes sense. But it's a strong statement for <laughs> yeah. your program. That's like uh-huh. that's saying a lot, lot for a program that's turned out great players. Mm-hmm. So go watch Tania Latson play. She's a generational player. She's a program changer for Florida State. She, I mean, and I'm not discounting the other players on the team. They have a great te- really good team. And the pieces around Tania Latson are great to why they're doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But Tania Latson is a perfect fit in this offense. It's why they could be a tournament team. It's why if they get to the tournament and she's healthy at the end of the season, she's going to be able to play. I think um, all three analysts I talked to, which will um, be in the story, so it was a damn shame last year when Latson got her before the NCAA tournament, in the ACC tournament, no one got to, the national audience to get to see her playing that. Then he goes to NCAA tournament. She does not play against Georgia. If they won that Georgia game, which it was a close game, I think, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. not a blowout loss, even though they were down, Latson, Omira Gordon, and I think um, um, K.K. Timpson got hit in the face and was bleeding and didn't play in the second half. Um, if they beat that Georgia team, they would have played Caitlin Clark and Iowa in the second round. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, a Caitlin Clark against Tania Latson matchup would have been so much fun. <laughs> Would have been a, I mean, Caitlin Clark is the best player in the. Well, they're two very different players. Two very different players, but I think the matchup would have been so much fun because you have two of the best players in college basketball going up against each other. It would have been a fun matchup. It would have been interesting. I think it would have been cool to see. I think Iowa has a lot more height than oh, definitely. I'm just Florida saying, State. Oh, it definitely. would have been interesting to see. I'm just saying individually, yeah. the two best, two two better players just going one on one. You know, last one probably dropped thirty. Clark, um, Clark would have dropped like forty. So you know there would have been a, yeah high scoring between those two. It would be a fun matchup. Yeah. yeah. So it's a damn shame we didn't get that last year. Uh, see, it could happen this year still. It could still happen this year, mm-hmm. and I think um, Florida State, the chances of them hosting with that little swoon they had in the middle of the season, probably the chances of them hosting are very low unless they went go in the ACC tournament, which is a possibility. Win the ACC tournament or win out here in the regular season. I think even the winning out the regular season, like enough, they probably do win the ACC tournament or make a deep run, mm-hmm. at the very least. So I, the chances of hosting are low, but they could still get a favorable seed, go out somewhere, make some noise, and get out of wherever they go play. Mm-hmm. But um, either way, Florida State's a great team. Um, that's what we lost last week's game was the painted pink game, and I really wanted to talk about this is. Great story Jack did last week. Um, he got comments from all the way from, like, you know, beautiful story, need to be told. To just, like, I, you could talk about some of these comments, Jack, but, you know, Brooke Wyckoff, I don't think anyone knew if they didn't, were not paying close enough attention at games, was going through the process still. So I want, like, you take the floor, Jack. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think this was, that was the thing that made me the most aggravated out of the loss on Sunday period because the game had it's the peanut pink game and it has a lot of significance every year um it's to honor breast cancer survivors and those battling breast cancers and those who lost their battle of breast cancer and it's a substantially bigger game this year because brooke wyckoff is battling breast cancer right now um and publicly i think a lot of people thought the story ended after her surgery that happened in october she missed um some preseason games she missed the first game of the regular season um, because she had successful breast cancer uh, tumor removal surgery. However, um, that's not the end of the story. That's not, that, that was not the end of the story, I think. And there, there wasn't really any talk about that after that. And truly, that was the beginning of her journey. Um, 
because she began to undergo chemotherapy after that, um, and she ended up losing all her hair. She no longer is what you see what she has in the court right now, that she's wearing wigs right now and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I wrote a story just because, again, I personally was curious about it. I don't really think there is I, – I think a lot of people thought this her journey ended after she had surgery. But I talked to her just about her journey she's had in battling breast cancer and undergoing chemotherapy, and the people around her have supported her and helped her. And um, the mental battle that she's gone through in some points of this as well, what she does to keep her day going every day. Um, and, you know, there's some people that were very familiar in the story, like, um, you know, talk to Sue, um, Sue Samro, Samro, right? Samro. Samro. Um, oh, we should struggle. Great person. Yeah, uh, she's a wonderful, wonderful coach and stuff like that. And she's been such a great supporter of Brooks, obviously, throughout her entire career and stuff like that. Um, was on our coaching staff as well, obviously, who is, is now the new head coach. Um, have had, had a great relationship for um, now. God, it's Brooks started playing here the year I was born. So it's been about 27 years They've um, that she's been with Florida State. Um, Probably longer if you connect, talk, think about the recruiting aspect as well. Yeah, so. yeah, even longer. Um, but she's been going to her chemotherapy appointments with her. Um, so there's some people you know, and there's other people you that may have not heard of, a Mimi Boyer, who is someone uh, that helped Brooke with her wigs and actually shaved her head. By the way, that was a great um, – um, just a great person to talk to for that story. You had so much to that story. Thank you. It's I mean she um yeah it was, it was someone that Brooke grew close to and um recommended that one of the people we should talk to. But um yeah it was, it was just a nice story to write. Um, my mother is a breast cancer survivor. Um I've had many people in my family who have either had it or um have passed away from it. So the story that hits me a little bit closer to home as well. Not um, necessarily breast cancer, but um I think I told you my grandma um you know my dad's mom died from a brain tumor. So mm-hmm. you know. Breast cancer obviously important, but like, and that's all what this game is for. But like, you know, cancer. Someone, I think, any kind of cancer. Someone, it hits home for a lot of people because you probably everyone knows someone that's had cancer. So I think that's an important aspect as well. Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, like it's it's cancer. I mean, my grandmother passed away from acute um, leukemia, um, which is you know it's bad in its own regard as well. But it's a story that impacts everyone. It was um, it was. I think you should say it's powerful to write. I don't know if fun's the right word. It's always fun to write, but um, uh, it's a powerful story. Right? I enjoyed the process of just getting to speak with Brooke and know her in this write as well. So, um, yeah, just check it out online if you want to as well. I kind of explained a lot of it. But, no. um, yeah, just it, it, was, it was an important story, I think, uh, to think, me personally too. Oh, no, that was a great story. Like I mentioned before, I think Jack did, um, hit a home run with that one. Or if you want to use a basketball term, got a slam dunk. Oh my god! But um, <laughs> sorry for that horrible um, <laughs> but um, no, I think um, it's just crazy. Like I think we were talking about it like at the game, um, it was the Miami game that we were at together, and you just kind of looked at Brooks like, now what? I, now that she's told me, I can't no- not notice that. You know, it's probably it's a wig there that she's wearing. Yeah, it's just, it's just the knowledge of knowing it. But if you didn't know in the moment, you would would have never recognized that she's wearing a wig, or you really, really don't really recognize she's sick at all. Honestly, no. Um, and kudos to her. She, um, I think, we talked to her availability after she mentioned she goes on Tuesdays, which is the team's day off. She goes for her um, chemo th- treatments, mm-hmm. and there's been a couple times where she just uh, she mentioned she has the energy because kudos to this woman. She's going through chemotherapy and going back to work. And, co- like, and it's not just a regular job. She's out there, you know, stomping around in the game in her heels. You know, I love it. Um, but she's coaching, and it's it's a physical sport. It's a tough sport, and she's out there every single day. And just, like, you know, she's putting everything into, into this team while going through chemo. So she's 
you know, any woman that goes through breast cancer is a hero, superhero. Credit to them, and we want to honor them, you know, in yeah, this podcast. Absolutely. It's amazing. Mm. Um, and anyone going through any sickness, you know, we give credit to, you know, you guys are doing a great job. And there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and we hope you guys make it to that and, you know, see the brighter days. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a hard process, and just know that's a, you guys are not alone in this battle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's, there's a lot of strength that goes into this, and the people who are battling cancer survived it. Um, and even if people who have lost their battle with cancer, it's, 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 a very, it's a very tumultuous and trying time and stuff like that. So it's the people, the women, the men, everyone that goes through this, you know, specifically breast cancer with women and stuff like that. It's, um, it's a very trying battle, and, but it, it shows strength and it's important to share these stories. And that's why we love the Paint and Pink game. It's a great game. It's a great cause. And, you know, um, I am glad that the best game of the year probably Florida State, um, you know, had – Outside of Tennessee game, maybe, which is the win. That was a great game, man. Um, was on a painted pink game because um, it brought in probably more viewers. It brought in, like, you know, just more attention to the cause. I think one thing was cool, um, and it was one of my takeaways from the game, was it's bigger than basketball. And the um, Notre Dame coach brought that up. She's like, she played against Brooke in, high sc- in college. So she brought it up, like, you know, Notre Dame had the option of wearing their regular uniforms but when Florida State was in their um, home pink. But they, Notre Dame brought their pink jerseys as well and wore pink, like, you know, um, they had the white white jerseys with pink lettering and numbers and um, a pink trim on both the jersey, on the jersey and the shorts. And they decided to wear that to, wear that to honor um, Brooke, which I think is a fantastic, fantastic sign of, like, nice you know. nice move from them, yeah. Um, and she ta- um, their talk coach um, I talked about it after the game and she was – complimentary of Brooke, just and anyone going through this battle like we just talked about. Mm-hmm. So it's fantastic to see there's unity. It's bigger, like, you know, we love sports. Sports is important. But when it comes to life, there's more important stuff. Yeah, it is. It is. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, so, you know, check out Jack's piece. It's a great article. It's on, you know, Tallahassee.com, like the other ones we mentioned. But last time we were close with them, talking about men's <laughs> basketball. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Come off a tough loss against Virginia Tech on the road on Tuesday. Just, it's a, it was a tough game to watch. They, outside of, I think we've brought up this multiple times, outside of Jameer Watkins, it's a question where you're going to get scoring from game to game. And that kind of reared its ugly head again during this game on the road at Virginia Tech. The final score in that game was... Um, something. Uh, 83-75. Okay. Florida State was down by two at halftime. Second half, they just struggled scoring and just gave up a lot of a barrage of scores to um, Virginia Tech. I mean, they shot 50% from the game and lost the game, Jack. Yeah, it's... Mostly because they had um, 13 turnovers, which Virginia Tech scored 23 points off. They gave up 13 offensive rebounds and 10 off- second-chance points. Points in the paint, they actually won 30-16. to 16. Um, three pointers. They allowed eleven three pointers. Virginia Tech shot forty eight percent, eleven twenty three. Mm-hmm. Then Virginia Tech was twenty eight of thirty two off the, at the free throw line. Where Florida State missed ten free throws, going nineteen to twenty nine. Another common theme is they just struggle with the free throw line. They do, and I mean, um, Hamilton talked about it after the game about the impact that Lynn Kid had. They shut him down completely earlier this season when. Um, 
Uh, they play them at uh, home. Uh, 12 the, points and 15 rebounds in this game. Yeah, and you just talked about the ability of his rebounding abilities, which really kept Virginia Tech in the game um, and really gave Virginia an edge throughout the entire time was his ability to get that, you know, get the rebound off the, those shots and stuff like that and give them a chance to keep the play alive and stuff like that. And that was a fault that they had. Um, but, you know, like um, Jameer Watkins had 26 points and 7-9 shooting, 3-3 three three from 3, 9-11 from three, um, free throws. So it's 26 points in a game that you score 75 points. That means the rest of the team scored 49. And 14 of that came from Darren Green. No one else was in double figures. Cam Corden had 8 points. He was the closest in double, to double figures. Primo Spears had 6 and fouled out in 20 minutes. So just to, we talk about the women's team. Like, you know, you have four scorers that can score. But Florida State seems to have one scorer. And Darren Green is a, you know, reliable second guy. But that's it. Outside of that, you know, Cam Jackson had a nice little spell where he scored, like, you know, his career high a couple of games ago against um, Virginia at home in a loss. But outside of that, the scoring has been missing. Like, you know, Bobby Miller had nine. I missed him. But just overall, the scoring has been lacking for Florida State. You don't have anyone to, outside Jameer Watkins to score. And it's just a troubling trend for this team. The problem is, too, in these games, another trend I've had to notice is when Jameer Watkins is – going off and granted he's a good player but when he goes off this team is not playing well like if he's if he goes past my opinion if he goes past 20 points like it's it means the rest of the team really isn't helping or carrying their load and it, yeah he just take he, he feels i think it has to he has to take over the game or else they're going to continue getting beaten to the ground no he's a good scorer but i think he mm-hmm. prefers to be like the facilitator as well yeah he had six rebounds and four assists in this game you know, just three turnovers compared to like the rest of the team. What the rest of the team had, he's good when he handles the ball as much as you does. Three turnovers is like you know kind of acceptable. You probably want to cut down on that still, but still, yeah, no, like overall, just another disappointing loss. Um, they get number nine at Duke home the, at at home this um, the Saturday, and right now they're after their hard, hot start in ACC play. I think they were five and one at one point, six and one maybe. They've dipped to um, seven and seven and five, seven and six now. They're two and five in their last seven. They are seven and six. Seven and six. So yeah, they've just fallen apart in ACC play now. Um, it's getting harder to see. You know, at one point you're like, oh, you know, maybe Hamilton gets one more here. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Um, at this point, I don't know if they keep going free falling. I think that's the end of it. I think next year you got to. At the end of the season, they're probably going to mutually part ways. Like, you know, it's speculation, but... It, it has to be something, because, I mean, where something needs to be changed. I mean, when you're... Yes, they're losing some of these games somewhat closely. I mean, they were in that North Carolina game. Um, you know, you could argue in eight points, really, no. Um, Virginia seems like it was... It seemed like they were playing cat and dog for a bit, and it seemed kind of close for a bit. You're beating Boston College by a point, and then you're you're getting a hundred and one points scored on you by Louisville, who is basically I've said this before, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Louisville is a big South team, um, they're an Ohio Valley team. They're awful, and you're losing to them a hundred and one to ninety two. You should not give up a hundred points to Louisville. To Louisville, it's 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 bad. Like I don't know what's you had this nice stretch, and dare I say they peaked in the middle of this. Granted, there's a handful of games left. Was that Syracuse was a lot like that win was a nice road win, the Clemson loss was I think where you saw like oh this team is still can revert to like bad habits. I would say this team's not ready to be a tournament team. Well, that's what I noticed in this game. And then they went to Syracuse like oh well, that's a nice road win. Maybe they mm-hmm. are. 
Yeah, and, and you then see since competing. the bottom's fallen out, well, you, said, you see, compete like played a really good game against North Carolina, just couldn't make the shot down the stretch. I think the problem is they play up and down to their opponents. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's kind of energy they exude, which is a problem because yeah, can't um, be doing that. Um, so they play. They might give number nine Duke a great game on Saturday at two p.m., but then then what happens? After what that? happens after that? They play. Against Boston College, who once again we talked about should not be beating by two points on the road, I uh, one point on the road, mm-hmm. and the game that probably could have lost if it was not for a last second turnover. Boston College had a great chance in the game. You were up nineteen to four at one point to mm-hmm. win the game. You know, it, uh, it's like and looking at the schedule too, like what they have left. All of it's, I would say they could lose. They could win a lot of these games and lose a lot of these games because the ACC's been so just up and messy, uh, up and down, ridiculous. Primarily bad this year. Um, I mean, yeah, Duke, I mean, that's obviously game Duke's favorite in Boston College. I mean, you beat them by one. Clemson, you've proven you struggle with. NC State's proven to be a very aggressive team, and that's a 9 p.m. game. What happened last time <laughs> you played a 9 p.m. game? Um, that was the Georgia game. Um, didn't go well. Georgia Tech is— Well, last time was yesterday or Tuesday. Was that a 9 p.m. game? 9 p.m. game at home. Yeah, well, I think that's on the road, right? No, it's here. No, it's here. It's at NC State. Sorry. I just saw another 9 p.m. below. No, um, the 9 p.m. is 9 p.m. starts, Pitt's, guys. Pitt's bad, but you can't count that. Pitt just beat some – I think they beat someone good recently. Georgia Tech's ripped off some really good random wins, um, and the Miami game's going to be the Miami game no matter what. Uh, no matter what happens to that game, it's going to be crazy. Here's the problem. Even if you win out, what, was it six games left? I'm sorry. No, you're good. One, two, three, four, five, seven. seven. All seven games. Even if you win all seven games left, this team is not a tournament team right now. Even if they win all seven games left, because of the awful losses to Louisville, sorry, <laughs> um, the awful losses to Louisville too, uh, and just some of the losses they had early in the season, the um, Lipscomb. Lipscomb loss, um, USF, which actually lost looks a lot better now. But this is not a tournament team. I think that's uh, they have to go win. That, they have to go win an ACC tournament, which means it to beat UNC and Duke. Again. In North Carolina. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it just it does not it's the it does not look promising. This is gonna be a team that's probably geared for NIT at best if they win the rest of the seven games. Yeah, it's and that's just, the best case scenario. I don't I'm not even sure if they're NIT team. So I think there needs to be start being discussions about what's ne- what's happening next year. And I'd hate to say that because I think we both love Leonard Hamilton. No, he, love talking to him. He's a great coach and but but it's it's about adjusting to what I think a lot of part of it is adjusting to what college basketball is now and, you know, a lot of what's going on. And I think we have been seeing it a lot in these past few years, some of these legends retiring. I mean, um, you know, Coach Shusevsky uh, um, with Duke and then um, Roy Williams left at um, North Carolina. And then, um, you know, Jim, Joe, Jim Boheme is still at Syracuse. Well, he retired. He retired too. So, okay, he's gone. Um, a lot of these older guys that have been around the sport for a very long time are stepping out. I mean, there there aren't too many of them left. Um, no, I mean, I think one thing we've seen is, um, you know, I don't think Leonard Hamilton addressed what was needed in the transfer portal this year. Mm-hmm. Um, he admitted he was late to the party last year. Um, so... And they don't have a great any great signing class coming, so it's just like where is the end of the right. where is the tunnel at the end of the light you know at the, the light at the end of the tunnel for this team this program I don't see it with you know unfortunately with other I think mm-hmm. we the discussion is going to start soon of like you know what's the plan next year because you cannot just let Florida State yeah you can't like keeping this happen I mean. and then going back to what we talked about earlier about the, um you know about the Civic Center to talk 
And just the Florida State's, I'm not sure it's a tier one um, basketball program, so I'm not sure who you're going to attract. So that's another problem that goes into it. You know, who are the hot names right now in college basketball? I don't know who that, the, I don't know about, like, you know, obviously FAU's coach, um, Indiana State has a good coach that's doing different things. Um, oh, know, yeah, they've had fantastic year. Um, Sam Cassell would be, obviously, FSU alum is a Boston Celtics um, assistant coach. Mm-hmm. Could be an option, but there's no slam dunk hire that was a Florida State alum that's going to want, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I don't think there's a, per se, slam dunk hire right now. Not yet, no. And even if there's a slam dunk hire, is Florida State the job they want is, you know, kind of an interesting thing. So we'll see how this plays out, but... It's, 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 it's just kind of sad, and you kind of look at the record, too. I mean, again, the ACC's bad, not great this year, but, like, I mean, yes, they had a good record early on, but Georgia Tech is not a great team. Virginia Tech, they're middle of the pack. Wake Forest was a good win. Notre Dame's awful. Miami's middle of the pack. Syracuse is middle of the pack, a little towards the bottom. Boston College is a little towards the bottom. Now, all these losses are to decent teams. Clemson, North Carolina, Virginia. You could argue Virginia Tech is here and there now. And then you have Duke on Saturday at home, 2 p.m., number nine. Again, it's always fun when you see either North Carolina or Duke come in here um, or anyone who's in the top ten of the nation. But I don't know. My opinion, this team does not have it right now and is – Bad as it sounds, <laughs> this team does not have it right now to beat Duke. No, and I think the thing that stings, if you look down the road at Gainesville, Florida hired Todd Golden last year, who is like, you know, the antithesis of, of um, Hamilton, really. is like, you know, a young coach that believes a lot in analytics. And, um, you know, last year was a struggle for them. They were an NIT team. They probably could have been a, tur- a tournament team if Colin Castle didn't get hurt. But this year, they have wins over, you know, two um, wins in the um, quad one and are undefeated in every other quad. And that's through the work of the portal where he's rebuilt the roster and just kind of got a team that's probably a tournament team. I think they were projected number seven, Lenardi's last thing. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be frustrating to watch, like, you know, Florida rebound and rebuild to the portal with a young coach while Hamilton's kind of, like you mentioned earlier, earlier about the older coaches. It's just has not adapted to today's game, and we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting to see what happens if, if anything happens in the offseason. I think there needs to be some sort of answer to the uh, future of the program. Either, yeah, either to coaching or what the roster has in store right now. But uh, Definitely. For now, they're playing Duke on Saturday. <laughs> Saturday, Duke, you know, busy weekend. Um, got um, Clearwater, Start with the Clearwater tournament for softball. They're on the road, but they're still playing major games. Mm-hmm. Um, Friday, you have baseball's home opener. Softball has one game. Saturday we have um, Duke men's basketball. Same time the FSU um, baseball games going, going. Yeah. They bought at two o'clock. Conflict. I don't know why they bought two p.m. games, but you know it's it is what it is. <laughs> um, noon you have um, Sunday baseball, softball is Saturday and Sunday as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that actually works out nicely. You get to watch a noon game on. Yeah. Cover that. Probably have your takeaways done and published. And to be able to sit down and watch the softball game against Tennessee on national television. Um, right, yeah. So enough time to, for you to get everything done. But um, I hope you guys enjoy this weekend. Um, Jack, where's going to find us on socials? Yeah, you can find all of our stuff at uh, uh, Noel Sports 
Yeah, Noel Sports, just about everywhere. Uh, Instagram's TLH Noel Sports. My handle on X is Jack G Williams. Essence underscore Cassim. Excuse me. Um, we have a YouTube channel that you you could subscribe to. Post all different press conferences and videos and stuff like that on there. Subscribe to the Tallahassee Democrat to find all our content there at NoelSports.com. Um, yeah, basically just type up Noel Sports, no spaces. Um, and you'll be able to find everything. But yeah, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Noel Sports Podcast. Thanks, guys. Like and subscribe.